welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guess, along with my co-host, Devin Dito, and we're back at it, listeners, with another episode. This time, we're doing one solo. I feel like we've been having two guests in the past uh, on the, you know, a little trend of that, but this time, we're going solo, and we're doing that because we want to revisit a topic that we had talked about in maybe season two when we first you know introduced the Black Lives Matter organization to us. Uh, to you all listeners. Um, but lately, they've gotten some really, really, really bad press. And some say it's for good reason. Some say it's a racist attack. But Deborah and I, we're going to break it down for you so we can keep you engaged and informed on what's going on. So Deborah, we're going to get into it with our first segment to kind of explain why uh, BLM is on blast right now. So listeners, in case you haven't uh, kept up to date with what's going on. Um, BLM is out of compliance. So here's kind of what's going on. Uh, Patrice Colors of BLM says, hearing the name of the IRS nonprofit financial filing is triggering following the revelation that the activist organization purchased a $6 million LA mansion. So that the triggering that she's talking about is a reference to Form 990, Form 990 with the IRS. And Form 990 is intended to provide the government and interested members of the public with a snapshot of the organization's activities for the year. It's possible that some donors may base their gifting decisions on what they can discern from the Form 990. The IRS requires an extensive amount of information from an organization. Instructions for how to complete the 12-page form are 100 pages in length. Additionally, the organization can be subject to a large penalty if it does not file in time. So, Devin, you know, from just, you know, basic jargon, it seems, you know, pretty average, pretty standard. It's a form that, you know, you file with the IRS because you are a tax exempt organization. People are giving you money. So people need to know what you're doing with that money. So, it, it, you know, like I said, it doesn't seem, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, like, you know, Patrice are saying it's, you know, it's traumatizing and it's traumatic and it's, you know, an attack. But like I said, it just seems like it's just standard IRS language. Right. I mean, I would kind of take that same attitude that this is like not out of the norm for all the other, I don't know, maybe millions of other nonprofit organizations we have in the country. So uh, while I understand, could understand, you know, their point of being cautious about having to fill out this form and making this information public. That is par for the course. That is what is expected of an organization that's going to be a nonprofit and it's going to be taking people's, you know, donations um, and supposed to be doing things with it. So I do understand it, but, you know, it's like you, you got to get you got to play the game. <laughs> so. Um, and, and Colors really the reason why she was talking about this being triggering is she, she said that activists suffer trauma and that their lives are put at risk when charities under their control are required to disclose publicly what they did with their tax deductible donations. And she went on to say that it doesn't seem safe for us. This 990 structure, this nonprofit system, if this nonprofit structure this is like deeply unsafe. This is literally being literally weaponized against us, against the people we work with. Uh, she also admitted to not knowing what a 990 was, even though it's a standard document for nonprofits, which is what we just talked about. And she claims it's being weaponized against black women because many people don't even know and honestly don't care about the form. Uh, 
Not sure that last part is correct. <laughs> Obviously, somebody cares, <laughs> namely the Internal Revenue Service. But, um, <laughs> you know, not filing this form has already kind of gotten them into some trouble, Adrian. Namely, we I think we talked about this on the show when it happened, but Amazon has already booted Black Lives Matter off their uh, charity uh, platform called Amazon Smile. And that came... Uh, after you know they were out of compliance and this is a major revenue source uh, for black lives matter um and it comes a little after two years amazon itself donated 10 million dollars to bit to black lives matter and 11 other social justice groups nationwide so uh adrian this is kind of you know we'll get more into it as we go through the segment but i understand you know not being familiar with the nonprofit world and not understanding what documents are <laughs> needed when you run an organization. But it seems, I just find it hard to believe you did not know what a form <laughs> 990 was as a nonprofit organization. Maybe I'm just asking for too much, but I don't know. You know, I don't, I, I'm going to say I am not in Patrice colors or BLM's corner at all right now, because it's you, you can't be an organization where you have, you know, I think like a $90 million where we'll get into that later, but have that much money. Um, you're getting, you know, mil- I mean, Amazon just gave you $10 million and you're a global organization. I mean, this is BLM global network. I mean, this is something that's supposed to be structured, set up. And we, we as minorities know that we have to work even harder when we do stuff. I mean, everything we do has to be to the T because people are going to go through it with the fine tooth comb and hold it to a higher standard. But even aside from that, just the fact that you are an actual nonprofit. I mean, this isn't like a mom and pop nonprofit that's just doing something in the local community for the homeless out of the church or whatever. This is an actual organization who had a platform where they were raising, you know, dollars, you know, you know, globally. So I, I definitely am not in their corner. And I don't, you know, the whole thing about it being weaponized against black women, I think that's a bunch of bull. And I, I, <laughs> I wish you wouldn't have took it to a racial lens like that because I don't think it's I get that Black Lives Matter organizations are, you know, led, you know, or founders rather were women and black and all of that, but the IRS isn't weaponizing this against black women. It's just standard, you know, IRS, you know, tax, you know, protocol. And they were just caught red handed and, you know, that, you know, shit's hitting the fan as, as the saying would say, I mean, they suspended their fundraising uh, platform after attorney generals in California and Washington asked them to submit delinquent financial disclosures from 2020. And again, this is, this is we're in 2022 and we're talking about two years ago where if you've got all this money, you can use that to have attorneys and tax prep and, you know, an accountant. I mean, you if you're using eight point four million, which I know we'll talk about some more of the numbers later. But I mean, I think they were using about eight point four million of that ninety million dollars in operating expenses. So it's just like you've got money to hire people to do all of this stuff. So I, I don't think they have any reason to say that they didn't know it. And it just gets deeper, listeners, to where an organization, the National Legal and Policy Center, uh, which is an ethics watchdog group, they filed a complaint with the IRS after it was disclosed that BLM bought a $6 million luxury mansion that they're saying is a mansion for Black creativity and a space for Black folks to share their gifts with the world and hone their craft. So... I, <laughs> 
again, Devin, I don't know how you feel about it, but a $6 million mansion to have a creative space. I've seen a lot of creative spaces and they're not luxury mansions. Uh, They're not. You know, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they are well-intentioned and they just don't understand how bad this all looks. Like they just don't understand buying a $6 million you know, mansion cannot be spun as an area for, you know, for black creativity to rise and for black folks. like, come on, like, like they're calling it campus for a reason. Like in the story that came out that actually told everybody that they bought this mansion, it was revealed that in, within the Black Lives Matter organization, they referred to it as campus. And so they all know about it. They just did not make this publicly known. And they know, there's a reason why they didn't make it publicly known. My bad. I didn't mean to cut you off. Since you're talking about on that, I, since you're talking about on that point, it's also in that article that they bought it under shell companies so that it wasn't, you know, properly or rather publicly attached with Black Lives Matter. So it was very, very shady in that buying too. They they took steps to make sure it didn't, at least on its face, it did not look like Black Lives Matter um, global network was not involved. In purchasing this home, it just it all looks horrible. Maybe they're just well intentioned. I don't want to say that they purchased this for personal use, but obviously they purchased it for somebody to use it. You didn't. There's no way you're going to buy a six million dollar house and it's only used for black creativity and and for these things. Like somebody's got to be living there. I would assume um, the whole thing is just a mess. And and like we were saying earlier, the numbers on this just to kind of take a step black take a step back black lives matter only revealed how much money they took in for the first time in 2020 um and this was after everything had happened with george floyd and so the ap reported back then that the foundation said it took in just over 90 million dollars in donations and they committed about 21 million dollars in grant funding to both official and unofficial black lives matter chapters and that was along with helping out 30 other black-led um grassroots organizations now the foundation put did put its operating budget at 8.4 million. So that's what Adrian was referencing. But Adrian, this report, their very first time telling the world this is what our operating expenses look like, raised more questions <laughs> naturally because you do the math there. You made you know you took in 90 million dollars, you gave away supposedly 21.7, and then you had another 8.4 in operating costs. I mean that's that's another 60 million dollars that supposedly it's just sitting there in the bank. And so it raises questions of where is it going? And now we know at least 6 million maybe have gone to purchase a mansion. So, you know, it, it just raised more questions of what's, what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, Devin. I mean, it definitely leaves me with uh, more questions and answers. And I, Maybe I'm being too harsh. Maybe I should give uh, Patrice Colors and the Black Lives Matter people uh, the benefit of the doubt. But I just, I don't know. I Like I said, I just feel with everything being so standard as far as the paperwork, I get that it's 100 pages. But I know that there are professionals that people hire, like, you know, accountants and, and, and lawyers. I mean, there's, there's people who do this stuff for a living to keep you in compliance. I mean, whenever I've worked... Uh, for American Fidelity Insurance Company, we had a compliance department <laughs> that made sure we were in compliance. I mean, so <laughs> again, like I said, I don't know if it's the benefit of the doubt or if it's just they didn't realize how 
you know, how things worked. I, I just don't know. But listeners, you know, we wanted, I, I know I probably seemed a little biased, but we just wanted to paint a picture that was a little unbiased um, <laughs> uh, to kind of give you some information into what's going on. Because there's a lot out there um, that you hear some folks saying this is a racist attack against the organization. And some folks are just saying that this is just standard IRS language. So after hearing it, you be the judge. Uh, we'd love to hear your comments on it. Um, because, you know, it's only going to get uh, worse for Devin, I feel like, uh, before it gets better. Oh, it's going to get a lot worse. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is sort of a, a dream come true for people on the right. Um, those who decried Black Lives Matter and what it stood for when it even first came about, just the name and then everything that happened after the murder of George Floyd. This is the fodder that the Republicans and all those are looking for to say, look, this is why you shouldn't give to those organizations. This is proof that, you know, they're bad actors and they were never in for it to help black people. It was just a money grab Um, and not saying it's true, but it appears to be really (laughs) sketchy. So the, this is just, <laughs> and then it's like you add on top of that. She bought, you know, Patrice Colors bought, you know, I think like four homes, four, yeah. about three three point two million dollars. And this was early. This was when you know, I think two thousand sixteen. Um, mm-hmm. So when the organization first got you know kicked off, and it's just like if you haven't been disclosing your records to the public, and you've got your you know co founder buying you know million dollar homes. It just again, it just looks <laughs> that that's why nonprofits have to be transparent about their dealings and what they're doing, just because it's you're not a for profit. I mean, if you were an Amazon or Google, it wouldn't matter because you're it's your money. I yeah. mean, you spend it how your shareholders might care what you're doing with it, but the public we don't have a say or whatever. But when you're taking free money from people, you've got to be more transparent and you should know that. I mean that that's that's standard stuff whenever you file with the IRS you just know um that you got to do that. So listeners um what we're going to do we're going to give you a break here and when we come back we're going to give you another segment where we want to talk about what this is going to do for the movement because like Devin was saying a lot of people are going to use this as ammunition and we want to dig into that a little bit deeper and hopefully get ahead of that so we can counter that and continue to show people that black lives actually do matter so stick with us we'll be right back you've been listening to the black agenda podcast if you're enjoying the show let us know before you go leave a review on apple Podcasts or spotify give a few dollars while you're at it after all the black agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you so sit back and listen well as we get back into the show all right, listeners, let's get back into it here. Our second segment talking about how it impacts the movement. Um, and, you know, we just wanted to kind of dig into this a little bit deeper because um, I definitely feel like this is going to be something like Devin had said, listeners, that the GOP and conservatives will definitely use. Um, they're going to say how, you know, whenever Black Lives Matters had protesting versus how January 16 protesting, there was no money involved. They're going to probably bring up the Antifa and the planes with people in black or whatever and saying maybe the money went there. I mean, there's there's just, you know, there's going to be so much speculation around where this $60 million went. And I mean, some people are going to say it went to Patrice Colors. 
And honestly, Devin, I'm wondering what what's going on with the other two founders, uh, Opal and I can't remember the third one, but you know, they haven't taken any heat. I feel like from this, it's just Patrice who stepped down uh, because of, you know, buying those homes, it's a little, you know, bad media and all that kind of stuff for, but I'm just wondering, you know, how are all the other people doing? Cause I mean, there's a lot of uh, local chapters and different things like that. So I'm wondering how they're um, going to, you know, kind of use this um, to, well, rather how this is going to affect them. Cause I would imagine on the local level, um, they're probably going to be taking a lot of heat just like the uh, national leaders are. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everybody has to, has to answer this question and you've even seen um, some of the local black lives matter chapters start asking questions about where some of this money is going. They're complaining that they're not getting uh, some of these funds or that they're having a hard time getting funds from the, you know, the higher, uh, the higher ups. And so, uh, it does. It's just it just looks bad and it just raises more questions uh, in a time where trust is really at a premium in this climate. Sometimes perception. Well, and I can say sometimes a lot of times perception is reality for a lot of people. It does not matter how much proof you put out there about expenditures. You put all the parts, you know, all the reports you want to put out. But sometimes people will just believe it. Um Especially in this case, when you have an organization that's called Black Lives Matter, people want to believe the ones who don't like the organization and have a problem with the name <laughs> and don't like that they stand for defunding the police. They want to believe that Black Lives Matter was only in this for money. This was a money grab. They don't care about black people. They were not trying to better um, our community or anything like that. So this is the perfect kind of PR storm that you can. It's really hard to get from under in this day and age because people don't really care about proof anymore. Once you get your beliefs, it's very hard to get people to move past that. And, you know, I think Collars has mentioned that other activists have asked her, um, you know, am I next? So it's kind of <laughs> like, you know, I mean, which I understand. And, so it's like, you know, my, my response to that is, are you fouling with the IRS? You know, that's, <laughs> that's just my response to that. It's, you know, this whole I, like that, what you just said, Devin, is why I wish she wouldn't have taken it to a racial lens because it's it's gonna be that it, it, you, you it's gonna make it harder for people like us to defend it because whenever you have like your Jim Jordans and you know your Donald Trumps and stuff like that saying the IRS this is just standard you know business procedure yeah. this isn't targeting anybody it's just hard to counteract that because you've got organizations like the ACLU who they file this and they have it on their website. It's, you know, it's just like, it's just real. They just made it really, really hard to protect them with this because it's just like, you, you can't just spin this and say like, you know, I, I, I mean, maybe there's some statistics where there are uh, a, a, you know, a, uh, a lot of minority organizations who haven't filed with the nine with their 990 and that just might mean that there needs to be some sort of organization that helps keep nonprofits in compliance or something maybe that needs to be the next nonprofit where that mm-hmm. is they just go around making sure that these nonprofits are doing what they're supposed to do maybe we need to do that Devin, and get ahead of this and <laughs> create a business um cuz it's i i just i just feel that with what's going on you know 
you know, other organizations asking if they're next, other people saying that this is traumatizing and racist. I just think that's dramatic. But I think what you said about this impacting other organizations with raising money for their social justice causes, I think it will have some sort of an impact to where people who have causes like these, mm-hmm. you're going to have to be overly transparent. You're going to have to, it's, it's almost like you're going to have to pay for what BLM did because people aren't going to want to fund you. I mean, if you're already an established organization, maybe you don't have anything to worry about, but for going forward with all with new, you know, black lives matter organizations type like that, who are trying to fight for our justice, I think it's, it is going to make it harder for them to come out, um, Especially if you're not, you know, doing what you're supposed to do, which is, you know, keeping up with everything. You got to yeah. document. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, you know, the way I thought about it was, in one, you know, I look, listen, we understand um, the people, you know, the the ladies, the women who founded Black Lives Matter, were not probably experts in nonprofit, <laughs> uh, you know, disclosure requirements with the IRS and things like that. I mean, this is all probably new to them and in many people who work within the organization. So, I mean, at, to me at best, just thinking of the ways they can get out of this, it's a situation where you just had a small entity balloon in 20, like in literally in less than a few months, they went from, you know, a little over a million dollar budget before 2020 to having $90 million come pouring in, in one year, really it started like June onward. <laughs> Cause it wasn't much, you know, so it's like, I understand the workload went from okay we're 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 trying to do great things in into our small communities on the lower level to bam we're on a national stage where we talked about by presidential candidates we've become a political talking point so <laughs> if you know it's like they they became part of the national conversation and they rightly so got much well de- deserved attention but that doesn't mean your the organization doesn't come under a microscope though for what you're doing so that's the other part of this newfound fame is that yes you do get a ton of donations but it also comes with comes with a much much larger microscope so now you have to make sure that you are dotting every t and dotting every i crossing every t and dotting every i um to make sure that you're living up to what it what you have to do as a nonprofit. but i do think at, at the very worst this makes them look sketchy and looks like they're trying to hide their dealings, which is, I hope is not the, the case here, but obviously they took steps to make sure the public did not learn of the purchase of the mansion. It just, it all looks <laughs> really sketchy. They could have the best intentions in the world for that mansion and that purchase, but it's just the whole thing. They need a PR person and they need a compliance department. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the two investments they need. Well, when exactly. I think about the purpose of that mansion, if it if it is for black creativity, a safe haven, I mean, why would you not market that? I mean, that that's something that's good press. I mean, that's good mm-hmm. publicity. I mean, that's what you need as an organization like this. I mean, you probably don't need to, you know, spend six million dollars on a mansion. I mean, you could probably buy some sort of center or whatever, but it, it definitely is something to where um people are going to just be wondering, you know, what do we do next? You know, what should be done? And, and honestly, I I think it's just going to come down to me personally. I think that they should just restructure uh, and not be a nonprofit. And if now, if they want to hire the the compliance staff and hire the account, if they want to, because you go to their website, you don't even see their team or whatever, like who, like there's no legal counsel person or whatever. I mean, 
unless they're going to actually expand and, and make themselves a, an organization that has people working on this stuff, I think they just need to restructure. It's a little more complicated to, you know, to restructure uh, from a nonprofit to a for-profit company. But um, at that point, you don't have to worry about, you know, people coming after you and the trauma when you hear, you know, or the triggering when you hear the IRS or whatever. But even still, uh, Devin, if they were to go to a for-profit company, I mean, any company has to register certain documents with the IRS, rather file certain documents with the IRS. I mean, you got to pay your taxes or whatever. I mean, it's just like there's always going to be some sort of paper trail, paperwork that you've got to do as an actual organization. So, I mean, when I think about what should be done next, Devin, it's like, like I said, I mean, they're either going to need to restructure so that there isn't as much transparency if they go to like a for-profit because if they're going to stay as a nonprofit, you know, Patrice or whomever is going to be the new executive director, they can't use this whole 990 structure. I mean, they can't use yeah. that, you know, quote or whatever. They can't <laughs> say that this is a system against us as black women. They just got to play ball. I mean, this is just something that you do if you are a nonprofit institution. So I'm just like, either they're going to not be a nonprofit institution or they're going to be a, uh, a, you know, be one and then just do what they're supposed to do. No, I mean, I, yes. Running a nonprofit is complicated because of I mean, the amount. We thought of, about it and it's hard. We did. It's, it's hard. It is not something you do overnight because you have to be compliant in so many different areas because of the nature of what you're doing, which is you're asking people to donate to you, to give you their money, and they're expecting you to go out and do a service improve their communities. That's why we have all these different watchdog charity organizations, <laughs> you know, running down the Red Cross and Salvation. I mean, all the big, big organizations, they're making sure that where's this money going? And we have trackers that can tell you how much of the donations going into this particular charity are actually making it to the people on the ground. Like those things exist for a reason. And that is because it's sort of high risk. I mean, if you took people's money and didn't, uh, you know, do what you said you were going to do. That's a scam. So like, that's how far, that's how little room there is between being a nonprofit and being a scam. So that's why we have these things in place. But I do think outside of trying to figure out whether they want to be a not-for-profit or for-profit, I do think BLM needs to do some work with this core audience, which is the black community. You need to rebuild that trust and say, listen, we understand we haven't been as visible since 2020. You're having questions about where the money is going. These are the things that we're doing, and this is what we're going to do on the very, very local level to make sure the money gets to the people who actually need it. I don't think they envisioned giving money directly to families, but I think they should. They should be piloting, you know, UBI sort of uh programs, you know, universal basic income, providing something like that to areas that have chronically been in poverty. I think that's what a lot of people really honestly expected um, from Black Lives Matter, but we really didn't get that. So because if, if you don't build rebuild the trust, I'm not saying it's completely broken, but I think everybody in our community, a lot of people are questioning what's really going on with, with Black Lives Matter, what they're all about. So they need to fix that because like you were saying earlier, this whole charade that they have going on with the purchase of, purchase of this mansion and Patrice Culler stepping down makes it extremely hard for us to defend them going forward and saying, yeah, you know, we are for Black Lives Matter and what they stand for. We may not agree with everything, 
but that's a very one, you know, very well run organization that's doing some great work in the community. And I think right now it's a little difficult to say that because of some missteps at the top, because there could be people on the ground who are doing great work. We just don't know about it. But right now you can't see it <laughs> because uh, BLM has just had some some pretty, you know, pretty bad missteps. And hopefully it, this is a case where it's just a small organization just was not ready to take on um you know, the kind of work and, and, <laughs> and the money that they got in 2020. I don't, I just don't think they were quite ready for it. Uh, and so hopefully this is a wake up call that they need to get it, you know, get it together. I mean, they did, you know, issue out an apology uh, on Twitter as a, a long apology. And they talked about the fact that um, they understand that this calls distress on all of those who are working for the movement and that this is an opportunity for accountability, healing, truth telling, and transparency. So, all of that is true. <laughs> I yeah. just it, it also says in the coming weeks we will unveil new initiatives to increase transparency and accountability, and to continue reshaping what radical philanthropy looks like for Black people. I, I mean, that's a little convoluted, but. Uh, you know, at least there's something where they have some initiatives. Cause yeah. honestly, Devin, you know, I had a question listeners on our script is can they survive this? And I think it's going to come down to what they just said. And that apology is what those initiatives look like. What, what does it look like for them to be more transparent going forward? And what are these things that they're going to be unveiling? It's like, you know, I almost feel like that's basically just saying that, well, because y'all know we've been abusing our money, let's tell you that we've been working on some stuff behind the scenes or whatever. And it's just like, you almost can't believe them because there's no transparency. There's no documentation. It's just all of the stuff was let's hide this um, from the public and from, you know, I mean, it's not like they even told their local chapter leaders that, that, that what what was going on. I mean, it could at least if they would have known what was going on, it would have looked like, you know, there was some sort of, you know, uh, channel of communication. But it just looks like all the information stayed at the top, just like all the money stayed at the top. So, you know. I don't know how much else can be said about that, Devin. I just hope that they are able to repair their name because I know that there's a lot of people that lean on them for support and the whole movement for Black Lives is kind of wrapped up in the organization, unfortunately. No, it is. I mean, their name is the movement. You know, Black Lives Matter is it. That's that's what people know. It's not only a name or title or slogan. It's an organization. It's powerful. So what they stand for is what initially got everyone behind them but now it's time for i think it's it's like you go from being like the the cool startup company to now you're growing into a mature large business where you have to make sure you're dotting those i's and crossing the t's like there is no time for you to be willy-nilly about things purchasing properties and not thinking folks are going to notice you know that you're funneling money through a company that your child's father has, like people are going to find these things out. Like they were going to find out about the mansion. They were going to notice that there were $60 sitting on your balance sheet unspent from 2020. People are wondering like, what's okay, what's going on. Um, so we, the grace that you get with being new to the party, I think is running out for them. And people are starting to say, okay, all right, we've, you've been around, well, you've been around for a while, but you've really, you're on the stage. You're on the main stage now. You are it when it comes to social justice in America for Black people. So 
Now it's time for you to exactly. actually step up. I mean, because they date back to Trayvon Martin. I mean, this is they when like, police brutality was like was kind of just really the, you know the mainstream of what we were talking about. I mean, like I said, this was 2016, I believe, was when uh, Trayvon Martin was killed. I mean, it was just so they've had they've had a lot of. I mean, six years to get ready. I mean, it wasn't until 2020 that they filed, you know, with the IRS as a nonprofit. So, I mean, it's just like, they've had plenty of time to put these things together and listeners, this episode, I know it seems like it was to, you know, kind of, you know, give you an idea in one way or the other, but it's more or less to say that if they are going to do these things that we should all hold them to a higher standard because they are, talking about our causes. I mean, they're, they're, they're carrying our voices and they're in these meetings with people for us. And if they're not doing the best that they can do, then it's just going to look bad and it's going to hurt what we're trying to do. Because even when you're in your local community and you're doing something, people are going to refer to black lives matter and be like, well, that's why I'm not in, invested in what you're doing because you know, black life, all lives matter. We yeah. can, I mean, it's, it's always going to be that thing. And this is going to be, uh, you know, a red flag, a smoking gun that they can point to. So Devin, it was fun to talk to, you know, talk about it at least. And I just hope they can survive and come back. No, I mean, look, we're rooting for them. Don't, don't take this the wrong way. We did not agree with everything they stood for, especially the defund the police conversation we were not in line with that but we understand the power that this organization wields in our community and beyond so we want them to be successful um and sometimes being a supporter of an organization or a person you have to be critical sometimes and like say hey you got to get this together you know we we know where you're trying to get to and so we just this is just accountability we can't just use the excuse that it's just a system set up to uh, discriminate against us because every other organization in this country has to do what they're being asked to do. So we want them to treat us as if, you know, this was a, a organization with pr- primarily composed of white folks who knew <laughs> that they needed to have proper disclosures because the community needs it, but also the internal revenue service wants it as well. So and it's, it's like, just, you know, the board, it's like the boy who cried wolf. If you play the race card too often and too much, it's it dilutes. Yeah. Definitely dilutes the power of it. We want to save those charges for when, unfortunately, when the next shooting or incident happens, we can save it for that conversation, but not for this. This is call you, call somebody and create a compliance department or improve your c- compliance department to make sure you're covering your bases. Um, <laughs> not, racism. Way, <laughs> yeah, not racism. Not <laughs> racism. <laughs> or sexism, like attack attack on black women. It's it's, not, it's I just don't want that to be the message, listeners. Right. Hey, and if you agree, let us know. I mean, reach out to us on yeah, social media. Do. That'd be great. We'll <laughs> have you on the podcast, or you could be on the podcast. We'll take a live caller. Come tell us what you think about the Black Lives Matter organization. Um, and if you disagree or, or agree, maybe you maybe you feel differently. So. We're going to go ahead and take our next break, and when we come back, we're going to wrap up the, our special episode here with giving you a look forward as to what's upcoming. There's some more good stuff coming, so make sure you stick with us, and we'll be right we back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are our foundation, and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work toward progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter using our handle at Black Agenda Pod. Again, at Black Agenda Pod. Now, 
time to get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So let's go ahead and wrap up the show for you. Uh, So coming up, you can look forward to hearing me and Adrian again this Saturday, uh, April 23rd. That'll be weekly roundup number 14 as we're getting. That means, as you know, we get closer to 20. That means the season is coming uh, to a close. So uh, that'll be weekly roundup number 14 coming to you this Saturday, April 23rd. So make sure you tune in for some more news, some quick hits, some funny business, finances, international. We kind of try to cover every topic possible in a nice, neat package. And that is what we call our weekly roundup. So make sure you tune in this Saturday, April 23rd to hear us discuss everything that's happening in the world around us. Now, coming up after that, on Tuesday, April 26th, you can look you can look forward to hearing us back here with another great episode. And this time we're going to be discussing how institutions promote racism. And so our guest for this show is going to be Dr. Maisa Akbar. She is the chief diversity officer of the American Psychological Association, which actually issued an apology for their role in promoting, perpetuating, and failing to change to challenge racism, racial discrimination, and human hierarchy in the U.S. And so we want to have a conversation with her about her organization's apology, but more so about the broader um, question of of can institutions promote racism? Because we all have heard the term um, structural racism. We want to talk about it. So we have Dr. Misa Akbar on the show again. She's the chief diversity officer of the American Psychological Association. So it's going to be a really, really, really fantastic conversation. So make sure you tune in next Tuesday, April 26th to hear that conversation. Also, before we go, we also this is April. We have a new charity. It's uh, coming up here. You can also help us out by donating. And Angel's going to let you know who our charity of the month is and also how you can help us out by donating. Yeah, absolutely, Devin. And, you know, listeners, I always um, like to remind you of, you know, why you should donate to the Black Agenda podcast. But in light of the news of Black Lives Matter, I guess the the main thing is just that we're pretty transparent. You know, uh, I think that transparency is, is going to be something that we can, you know, we can sell and uh, we can ride on because we, you know, we come to you twice a week and, you can go to our website and see what we're doing. Um, you can become a monthly patron and you'll be able to have uh, an account where you'll be able to see your monthly donations on a regular basis. Um, you can even get stuff back from us so you don't feel like you're just giving to nothing. You can watch us grow. Uh, and like I said, you know, if we'll, we'll even, you know, maybe get to a point where we'll be filing a 990 because of you. So like I said, uh, go to our website. It's just blackagendapod.com. Or scroll down in the timestamps and click the donate tab and start giving. As Devin was saying, Operation Hope is our charity of the month. April is about financial literacy awareness, and we selected a financial literacy organization because um, we thought that would be you know nice, makes sense. The uh, Operation Hope's focus is financial dignity and inclusion. They equip young people and adults with financial tools and education to secure a better future, coaching them through their personal aspirations and life's challenges, and facilitating their journey to financial independence. Since 1992, they have been moving America 
from civil rights to civil rights with the mission of making free enterprise and capitalism work for the underserved. And listeners, I always tell you capitalism is why we need money. So um, that, you know, they're talking the same thing. So make sure uh, if you're going to donate to them, you donate to us and we'll make the world a better place together. Exactly. Us, Operation Hope and Black Lives Matter, you can't stop that, right? <laughs> hey, I don't know if we, we might not want to be in, in, <laughs> in the circle with them for a little bit. Whoa, oh, whoa. no, not Oh, we don't want to be a feeling no, I was playing. I, I, <laughs> At least not I, with the, uh, the, the transparency part. <laughs> right. We're not even a, a nonprofit yet, listeners, so we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. But we're soon to be uh, it'll soon come to fruition, but you're just understand anything that you give us will go to our work here at the podcast and our, our original goal, which is educating the community on topics that you don't often hear about in the uh, major news media. So one other thing, though, before we get out of here is make sure you check out blackagendapod.com forward slash news. That is where um, our interns, if you didn't know, we have interns this season. And they've been writing news card art, news articles all season. So make sure you check their their work out on blackagendapod.com forward slash news. Also, make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at blackagendapod is our handle. That's how you keep up with us when we're not here educating you about some great topics. So make sure you follow us on social media at blackagendapod.com. So Another great show. It's a little different. This was a special, but we hope you have a better idea of what is the state of Black Lives Matter, the organization, um, and what's going on with them. Again, next week, we'll be talking about how institutions promote racism. Dr. Misa Akbar from the American Psychological Association, she's going to be joining us on the show. And then, of course, next Saturday, weekly roundup number 14, this upcoming Saturday, sorry, Weekly roundup number 14 coming to you on April 23rd. So lots to look forward to as we round out the month of April. So until next Saturday, we'll catch you next time. 